Good morning, and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. If you're ever in Uptown Columbus, we invite you to stop by and say hello. We'd love to see you, have you worship with us. We'll make you feel like family. At First Presbyterian, we are family. Learning together, growing together, worshiping together. Those that are able, we invite to stand for the reading of our first lesson, which comes from Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. Listen now to the word of the Lord. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Therefore, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white robes to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I reprove and discipline those whom I love. Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Listen, I am standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. To the one who conquers, I will give a place with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has an ear to listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Once again, those who are able are invited to stand for our second lesson. It also comes from the book of the Revelation of John. We'll read verses from the 21st and 22nd chapter. Continue to listen to God's Word speak to your life today. And John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be, death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God as the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is a tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruits in each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no more night, They will need no lamp nor sun, for the Lord their God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true, for the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angels to show his servants what must soon take place. See, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And then turning to the end of the chapter, it is I, Jesus, who sent my angel to you with this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The Spirit and the bride say, come. And let everyone who hears say, come. And let everyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who wishes to take the water of life as a gift come. The one who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. It has been a wonderful 31 weeks as as we have walked through the full scope of Scripture from Genesis now to Revelation. And we've done it as a family of faith. Our children, our youth, our adults, Sunday school classes, midweek Bible, worship has all been walking through this story chronologically. It's been a wonderful journey. And some have said, what are we going to do now? How do you follow that? Well, I'm not sure we can top it. But what we plan to do beginning on June 1st, is to enter into another uh, sermon series, another in-depth study into God's Word. And we're going to look only at the book of Acts, chapter by chapter, starting June 1st, taking us all the way to November 23rd, which will be right up to the edge of Advent. And we're going to dive deep into this book, the Acts of the Apostles, the post-resurrection church the church operating in the power of the Spirit to see what we can learn from the truth of God's Word to apply for the living of our days as followers of Jesus Christ and the church operating in the power of the Spirit. The sermon series is going to be called Louder Than Words because we know that actions speak louder than words. And we're looking at the acts or the actions of the apostles. I hope you'll be with us. We look forward to it. We're investigating accompanying curriculum that classes might use to also enhance this uh, study of God's Word in the book of Acts. Will you pray with me, please? 
Loving God, in so many ways it is true that actions speak louder than words. And you are the living word. And you speak to us now. We ask that your voice would be clear. That it would penetrate whatever is distracting or seeking to uh, dilute or destroy us. And that you would penetrate our lives now with the truth and the power of your word. And that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be found acceptable in your sight and life-giving to our days. As we seek to be your grateful and humble, courageous and empowered people. For the living of the good of your people and to the glory of your holy name, we pray in Jesus Christ. Amen. So we've come to the end of the story. We come to the book of Revelation, but let me tell you that the story is not closed. It's not they lived happily ever after the end and we closed the book. No, the story is still being written. And I hope that if we have learned anything as we have looked at God's story, is that in it we find our own story that is still being written. Our story is being written in God's continuing story. The story that we have been following is a story of God's faithfulness from beginning to end. A story of God's coming to us. A story of God's seeking us. A a story of God's redeeming. God moving toward us to rescue us. And so the Bible gives us not so much of an ending as it gives us now an invitation. As I said, the book is not closed. But we are invited to continue to live into God's story that is still being written in the world and in our lives. We come to this part of Scripture, the revelation of John, which gives us a vision of what God has done and what God is doing and will do. But Revelation is one of the most feared books of the Bible. Sometimes we neglect it because it is is so difficult for many of us to understand and interpret. And this is partly because of the type of literature that it is. It's apocalyptic literature. Use that one at a cocktail party and impress people. We're not used to reading apocalyptic literature. We're used to literature that's going to follow a single thread in the story. God is the shepherd. We are God's sheep. But revelation in this apocalyptic literature comes to us in a different way with images being thrown at us as if a torrent, a flood is coming upon us. And in this book, almost every verse has some illusion or image or symbolism that comes to us. Seven-headed dragons and, and slain lambs on thrones and cities dressed like brides coming down out of heaven. Every verse is packed. It's like we're in, caught in a bad dream and we can't understand what's going on. But to understand what Revelation is telling us is it's important for us to have a perspective or a lens, if you will. The Old Testament is a lens through which we might look at the Revelation of John to understand what John is writing to the church that was being persecuted and to us today. It's important to understand the Old Testament and pull that lens across every verse of Revelation. Because almost every verse has an Old Testament illusion of sorts. For instance, when John says that this vision of heaven coming down, 
is a place where there will be no more tears. Yes, John is saying that tears will be wiped from wet faces, but more than that, he is remembering and calling his readers to remember that time when God's peoples wept. They sat down by the waters of Babylon in captivity as we read in the Old Testament and as the psalmist sings in 137, we sat down by the waters of baptism and wept as our captors said to us, sing for us some of those good old songs from your homeland. When God's people were ripped away from their home and found themselves dislocated and in captivity, it is that time which they are remembering when there were tears and that captivity from which they are being rescued, that old home that they longed for and that new home that is being brought to them by the sovereign grace of God. Revelation is not so much a code for us to unlock as it is a, a presentation to orient us as readers to the future into which we live because the future is so elusive. And John gives us in this book a compelling vision of the future. And I believe that a vision of the future is exactly what we need in these days. There's a true story that's told about a town in Minnesota, a town that used to be Flagstaff, Minnesota was scheduled to be overtaken in the scope of a lake that was being created by flooding so that power could be generated to a larger region. And so the people of Flagstaff, Minnesota were told that with, within a matter of months their town would be no more. It would be underwater. And the town of Flagstaff, Minnesota became a glorified mess in the wake of what they saw coming. As you can imagine, repairs to everything ceased. Why would you paint a home that's going to be submerged in a few months? Why would you fix a leak in your roof in a home that's going to be underwater? Why would you patch the roads? The decorum and, 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 and the, the relationships between neighbors and city officials deteriorated. People immediately started moving away, and those who were there didn't care much about what happened to the town or to each other. Why does it matter how I treat these people? Because in a few months, we're all going to be scattered to other places, and I may never see these people again anyway. And so week by week, the town fell more and more into disrepair and chaos. In an article, it was written by a town member upon seeing what was happening in Flagstaff. The gentleman wrote this, where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. Where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. Could it be that parts of our lives that are suffering where there seems to be confusion and disarray? Could it be that places in our country where, where relationships are torn and, and, and abuse seems to reign the day? Could it be that in America and other parts of the world where hopelessness reigns, where wars rage, where 
where neighborhoods decay, where schoolgirls are ripped from their classrooms and their desks and taken from the promise of an education and a future and placed into slavery and horror? Could it be that these realities exist because we no longer hold fast to a vision, a God-sized vision of the future? The book of Proverbs says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Or a translation of that verse has said, when the people see no future, they are perishing. Every one of us has a vision of the future, whether we like to admit it or not. Woody Allen captured it this way when he said, I don't believe in the afterlife, but I'm going to pack an extra pair of underwear just in case. We all have a view of the future. It's been said that liberals are prone to utopianism, that conservatives tend to be overly uh, pessimistic, liberals are naive, conservatives are cynical, but only the gospel gives us that which is both optimistic and realistic at the same time. Without a living hope and a robust, uh, robust understanding of the gospel, Jesus Christ, it may be that we and our society and in our communities will continue to experience more and more hopelessness and decay because of our view of the future or lack thereof that dictates how we handle the present in which we find ourselves. In this way, Revelation is a help to us because it is more like a discipleship manual than it is a crystal ball. Revelation is telling us that heaven is coming to earth. That the future is impinging on our present reality. Dallas Willard says this about heaven. While God is certainly about the business of getting people into heaven, God's primary purpose is getting heaven into us. So if there's a heavenly invasion going on in our fuller world and in our lives that are justified, made right with God by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and are being sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, changing and transforming us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, what would it look like for us to participate in what God is doing right here and right now? Daryl Johnson, a New Testament scholar, has said that it's probably easier for us to understand heaven and its impinging on earth by not trying to figure out what will be in heaven, but what is not there. Because that's actually how John goes about describing heaven to us. Did you catch the language there where he repeatedly uses the phrase, no more, no more, no more? John says there will be no more sea. Now what he's talking about is not crystal clear surf and 
sandy beaches. No, he is talking about the fact that for the readers of the gospel in the time in which he wrote, the sea was seen as a chaotic, powerful force that could not be controlled and wreaked havoc. And John is saying, that will be no more. Things will be new. John goes on to say, no more tears, no more death, no more, no more temple. There won't be any more church, and for some of you, that will be good news. It reminds me of a conversation I'd had with my daughter when she was much younger. We, the two of us were riding in the car somewhere together, and you know that many times, it's when you're alone in the car with your child that you have some of the most significant conversations. And she asked me on that day, Daddy, what will heaven be like, and what will we do there? And I saw the opportunity. And so I said to her, it will be like church. And it's a service that goes on and on forever. And I looked back over my shoulder and her eyes were this big with a look of horror on her face. I might as well have described hell. <laughs> a never-ending church service. But there will be no temple. Because there will not be one place where people will worship the presence, the Shekinah glory of God. It will not be found in a designated place, but all of life will be about the worship and the glory of God wherever we find ourselves. There will be no night, no closed gates, no hatred, no falsehood. Randy Alcorn a pastor and writer puts it this way, no death, no suffering, no funeral homes, no abortion clinics, no psychiatric wards, no rape, no missing children, no drug rehabilitation centers, no bigotry, no muggings, no killing, no worry, no depression or economic downturns, no war, no unemployment, no anguish, no anguish over the future, no miscommunication, no con men, no locks, no death, no mourning, no pain, no boredom, no arthritis, no handicaps. And I want to add, that's in golf too. We'll all be scratch golfers. No cancer, no taxes, no bills, no computer crashes, no weeds, no bombs, no drunkenness, no traffic jams or accidents, no septic tank backups, no mental illness, no unwanted emails, and I want to say no emails. Close friendships, but no clicks. Laughter, but no, but no uh, put-downs. Intimacy, but not ever the temptation to immorality. No hidden agendas, no backroom deals. No betrayal, no fear. No insensitivity, no anger, no gossip, no jealousy, no hurt feelings. No one will go hungry. All will be satisfied. No one will weep. Everyone will belly laugh. Anybody want to go to heaven? You know, there's so much in this world in which we find ourselves that is very real and very distorted. There is loss, there is hardship, there is hurt, there is pain. But imagine, my brothers and sisters, imagine if we as a community of the followers of the risen Christ were to agree together that we would live in the way 
that is described by Randy Alcorn, by John in his revelation himself. If we were to live in that way and start it right now, it is how we are called to live into the hope and the promise and the reality of what God has done and is doing even in our midst. Heaven is not supposed to be this pie in the sky, this, this thing that we, that we yearn for that sedates us until we get there, but this vision of heaven is to stimulate us to see it even in our midst in the reality that we find ourselves. Just as peace is not the total absence of war, in the same way, earth is not completely wiped away, but the earth that John speaks of is the one that is redeemed. And heaven is not some glorified escape hatch out of here, but it is God's conquest of invading our reality and rescuing and redeeming His fallen world and putting back together what He started and doing it once and for all. Remember how this story began in Eden in the beauty and perfection of the garden and it's coming full circle as John tells us to that new Eden, to that place. And this is done through Jesus Christ for God sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world, but so that through Him, all who believe in Him might be saved and are being saved. God sent the Son to redeem us, to reclaim us. And it is Jesus Christ Himself who enlists us to join Him in His work in Jesus Christ as the heavens are ripped open and the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. And that's how Jesus lived, and that's how Jesus prayed, and that's how Jesus teaches us to pray. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Where? On earth. As it is in heaven. And we are called not only to pray that way, but to live that way. This is the story that God is still writing. And we are invited to fulfill our role as the priests who carry the name of the risen Christ. Did you hear that phrase in the reading from Revelation 22? And His name will be written on their foreheads. It is reminiscent of the Old Testament day when one priest on one day at one time made one sacrifice on Yom Kippur, entered into the Holy of Holies, and by the sacrifice of blood offered that life for the forgiveness of sins. And on the head of that priest was written the name of God because he could not speak the name of God. And it says his name will be written on all of our foreheads. Are you ready for your heavenly tattoo? Do you see the signature of God on the lives of the people around you and even on your own? We are called to be the priests of a new creation because of what Jesus Christ has already done for us. Let me tell you this story. I didn't tell this story in the other two sermons. And I had another illustration I was going to use. But it's so powerful what Jesus Christ has done for us. And all of what we do is in response to that incredible sacrificial gift that was made on our behalf. 
It is out of the realization of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ that we live our lives in the power of the Holy Spirit that is given to us because the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells within us. No, we're not able to do it on our own. We're not able to earn or get to heaven on our own. But heaven, by the grace of God, is coming to us. And so we live as if it were in our midst by what we say and by what we do, not working so hard and frantically or, dis or, or, or dissuaded. So my family went up to Atlanta this weekend to enjoy the celebration of my sister's daughter, my niece, and her graduation from high school. And all the family was there on both sides, and great time with my parents, great time with the family, great time around food and fellowship, and we were on our way home, and so we decided to take a little detour. And we went shopping in Atlanta. And I thought I'd sit in the car and work on my sermon. Maybe I should have. But this little shopping excursion lasted a little longer than I anticipated, or any of us anticipated. We had a great time. The girls got along. Jeannie and I got along. It was incredible to see the joy that buying a dress for senior pictures coming up brought my daughter. And she skipped to the changing room and came out with another dress and skipped to the changing room and came out with another dress. And we ended up buying a dress and another dress. But it was like heaven. Because when we got to the cash register, we found out that they were on sale. <laughs> and when we applied for a card, we got an additional 20% off. And heaven's breaking into our lives all the time. And we're called to be part of it with the people that we love and the people that we don't love, we are supposed to love as Jesus loved us. And Jesus loves us. And the beautiful image that the revelation of John gives us is one that I want us to take today. Jesus, we read in the first lesson, standing at the door, knocking. Jesus can't wait. Heaven can't wait to get to us and comes to the door of our lives, to our hearts. It says, may I come in? May I come in and make my home with you now so that your home might be with me forever? And the last words of the book of Revelation and of the Bible are a prayer, and they're simple. Three words. And may they be our prayer today and in the days to come. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we cannot get to You. There's no way. We're not strong enough. We're not good enough. But You have come to us. Make us realize that in all Your power, Your glory, Your sacrificial, beautiful love. And in the gift of Your Holy Spirit, may we be Your heavenly priest today as we live on earth. And see it coming in our midst and celebrate it and share it. 
in everything that we say and think and do for your glory and for Christ's sake. And let all God's children say, Amen. Amen.